Well, it's so good to be with you all this morning again. My name is Amir Burton, and, and together with my beautiful, my spiritual, elegant, and intelligent wife, Jewel. All right, she's not here today. She couldn't be here, but uh, if the slideshow is working, I have a picture of her uh, for you guys to see. All right. And that, that's not her at all. I'm not married to a mountain or a tree. If you guys can get it, that would be awesome. Um, but again, we lead the, uh, the team and campus ministry in the Antelope Valley um, region of our family of churches. And, and I serve under the mentorship of, of Dr. Greg Mc... There she is. There she is. We, we're looking like some magazine models in that picture. And, uh, and here's another picture of me and her before I grew my luscious locks out. Uh, you know, my wife, she's awesome, she's amazing, and I, I serve under the mentorship of Dr. Greg Moretzky, uh, who has preached here several times. You know, and, and yes, like it was mentioned before, I am the brother of Tariq Burton. Uh, you guys remember Tariq? Tariq's a great guy, I love him a lot, I kind of have to, because he's my flesh and blood, and he looks just like me. And, and other things to know about me, I love God, I mean, that's good, I gotta love God if I'm preaching the word. I love my wife a lot. Uh, I love Chick-fil-A. Alright, and, uh, and what I, I also love basketball. Shout out to all the Golden State Warriors fans in the room. We're gonna get the win tomorrow, I can feel it. You know, but I hope you're excited to be here today. I also hope that you're hungry, because I believe that you're gonna be fed today. I hope you brought your appetite spiritually, because God has shown me a lot. And I'm gonna show all that to you this morning. Alright, I wanna intro the lesson by reading the scripture. Is that okay? That's what y'all came here for, right? The Word of God. And let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Please join me there. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, or read to verse 18. I'll begin reading. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Jesus, he's asking us the same question today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in your life? And of course, Peter answers first. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of, I'm going to say it, King James Version, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, Jesus said one thing you can count on, on this, in this messed up this torn up, this broken up world, is I'm going to build my church. See, politicians, they may come and go. Companies, they may rise and they may fall, but I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will take this thing down. I don't know about you, but that's the church that I want to be a part of. That's the church that I want to invite my friends and family to. That's the church that that I want to mirror Junior to grow up in. That's the church I want to worship and praise God in, and that's the church that I would call Real Church. That's the title of the lesson today, and isn't that the the church that you want to be a part of? A Real Church, then tell that to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. I said, say, neighbor. Let's be a Real Church. Let's say it again. Say, let's be a Real 
An R E A L. Sometimes you got to spell it out for those who don't get it. For the real church. And I believe that, that you guys, you're this church in a lot of ways. You know, I've been to this church before. My mom, she, she's from Pasadena. That's where I was born and raised. So, so during the summertime, I went to school at Cal State Long Beach. I would come and visit her. And I will come here and I'll hear guys like Reese preach the word. Marty Fuquay preach the word. And also Ralph Lua. And, and that should be something that brings you great joy. You know, being a real church. Not just preaching the word, but you know, that's good as well. But it's also something that puts us in jeopardy. Because the happiness of heaven always attracts the hatred of hell. Being together Sunday like this is disgusting to Satan. And he hates it. He despises it. And he's bent on attempting everything he can to disrupt how the church should function. He lies to us. We notice he deceives us. He tries to split us up and he, he tries to divide us. He doesn't want the church to be real. He wants the church to be a misrepresentation of what Jesus sought to establish. But if we as a church, if we're going to keep it real, say keep it real. See, I love it when y'all, y'all got to talk back to me in church. If I'm feeding y'all, y'all got to give me some feedback. If we're going to keep it real, we have to hold ourselves to the principles that we see in the scriptures. Principles that we see practiced at a, at a church service in the book of Mark. So let's go there. Mark chapter 2. Please join me. And I know that the church officially didn't start until the book of Acts, but I believe its principles can be traced back to the church in the Gospels. So Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Let me begin reading. I have some of the scriptures on the screen. If if you're trying to catch up. In verse 1 it says, A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that, that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing with him, uh, with them a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Skip down to verse 11. And he says, Jesus speaking, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Verse 12, he got up, he took up his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. This amazed them, kind of like how my wife amazes me. She's not here, but I'm dropping pickup lines in the sermon. She's going to listen to the audio, and she's going to be encouraged. I love you, boo. Back at the scripture, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this scripture, I get excited. And I get excited because this is a preacher's dream. I mean, the, the, the room was packed. Everyone was sharing their faith. And, and Jesus was preaching the word. The greatest preacher who has ever preached. I mean, everything was going awesome. Everything was fantastic. The front row was saying, preach to Jesus. Hallelujah. Aid to the men. Everything was going great until these five dudes showed up late. Say, uh-oh. Say, uh-oh again. Some of us, we thinking about who came late today. 
God remembers who's on time and God remembers who's late. I'm just going to keep it at that. I'll let Reese handle the rest. But verse 3, it tells us, some men came, bringing a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. I don't know about you, but I love what these four men chose to do on this day. You know, what they did here in verse 3 shows us that a real church is a church where the prosperity of others is the priority. You know, carrying a paralyzed man across the desert wasn't probably on the schedule for the day. That probably was not the plan, but as soon, as soon as they heard that Jesus was preaching, and as soon as they heard that the Son of God was in their hometown, they dropped whatever was on their schedule. They stopped whatever they was doing, and they put the paralyzed man on the mat and, and loved him to Jesus. I say loved because it took four men to carry this one man to Jesus. This man, he was probably a heavy set fellow. If it took four men to get him there. But the point is, is they put this man above all else on their priority list. And, and if we're going to be a real church, we have to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of each other. We have to watch out for each other. And why? It's because a bullseye is on the back of every believer. The day you became one with Christ is the day you entered into a very real battle. A battle that will wound you, it will hurt you, it will distract you. And it will damage you if you try to fight the battle on your own. The do-it-yourself disciple is always outnumbered by Satan. And even though this is something that many of us, we know, some of us, we're guilty of, of letting each other fend for ourselves. You hear it all the time. I mean, we say so-and-so never comes to church. But when's the last time you offered so-and-so a ride? You know, so-and-so, brother, so-and-so, he's always struggling. He's always having a hard time. Well, when's the last time you prayed with brother so-and-so? When's the last time you read a spiritual book with him? Read some scriptures with him? We say she's always quiet. She doesn't talk to anyone when she comes to church. When's the last time you asked her a question? If you see it, initiate it. Inconsistent initiative impoverishes the church. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 tells us that God's vision for the church is for its members to be concerned for each other with compassion and love. Key word in that is members. That's not just a command for the leaders in the church or the shepherds in the church. No, that's for each and every member. So we got to stop waiting for someone else to do the thing that we know we should be doing. These men, they didn't wait for the person in charge to take this man to Jesus. you got to imagine how this man, this paralyzed man, felt by their gesture. As he's laying there, on his back. I hope he was on his back. Hopefully he's not lying on his stomach. And he couldn't breathe and we'd have a different scripture. But imagine just how he felt. And imagine the conversations. Imagine what they were saying to this man. Jesus is here. Today your life is going to be transformed. You're going to be able to walk again. It's going to be awesome. You know, this man, he felt the thing most people who walk out on church leave over. He felt the love. He felt love. And the reason why the dropout rate in today's congregation is so high is because the church fails to practice the thing that we're supposed to be overachievers in. 
That's the greatest command. That's the th- we, can't, it, we can't miss that. To love one another. And I hear too often people leaving churches today because they don't feel the love. We have to see to it that all and everybody that comes in this room, comes into this facility, feels that love. Question. How have you been a help to the spiritual prosperity of insert name there? How have you helped so-and-so? How have you loved so-and-so? And this is what we have to get, because the heart that's not being helped is, is at risk of being ransacked by Satan. Right. Now, who have you prayed with? Not just prayed for, there's a difference. Right. Who have you prayed with? Read scripture with, encouraged, listened to, entered into a struggle with. We've got to understand that, that a room like this gives Satan a lot to target. We have to be involved in each other's lives. We have to be consistent in each other's lives. Let's help each other get each other into the presence of God like these men did here. Amen? Amen. Back at the house. Going back to the scripture, verse 4. Back at the house, mid-sermon, the people, they get distracted. And they get distracted because debris starts falling from the roof. Hands start appearing through the ceiling, and the, and the roof starts opening up. And Mark 4, verse 4, chapter 2 tells us that they made an opening in the roof, we read it before, and lowered the mat the man was lying on. And if I had to put an image to this scripture, it would look a lot something like this. This is an original piece. Drawn up by yours truly. It was a good day that day because Jesus was preaching the word. So the sun is smiling. Got his shades on. That's Capernaum. If you were confused, that's the rope, the paralyzed man. Aren't you glad you came to church today to see this? You can't get this listening to the sermon online. You know, it's, it's a funny thing to picture. But the point is, don't let the picture get in the way of the principle. Well, some of us, we're, we're guilty in our lives of assuming what God is doing solely just on what we see. You know, but with God, what you see is not always what you get. A dead end to you, it's, it's still alive to God. What's come to an end to you is a new beginning to God. With God, what's on the surface doesn't always tell the complete sur- the story. And, and what's on the surface here is... The unapologetic, I should say, destruction of of personal property. And scholars believe this was Peter's house. Peter, he was probably the wrong disciple to cave a roof in. You know, cut a a hole in in John's roof. He'll say, now I can see the stars. And my creator has made. But the principle beneath the picture shows us how the power of church can be real in your life. Church has a power to it. And in order for us to experience the power of real church is when your devotion is too difficult to be defeated. The power of church is felt when you're too stubborn to be anywhere else than than at church on Sunday, on Wednesday, and whenever else the body gets together. The real power of church is felt when you, like these men, tear through whatever is keeping you from being in church. Tearing through your laziness, your excuses through being too tired, your bad past experiences with church, whatever it is. It's tearing through and sacrificing whatever it takes to be devoted. And some of you have never known the joy 
And some of us, we've never known the satisfaction of belonging to a church because we've never embraced the sacrifice of staying in one. The sacrifice of time, commitment, being challenged and not running away from that challenge. These men were not going to be defeated. They said, hey, if we can't get to Jesus on the ground, then we're going through the roof. It's not going to happen otherwise. We're getting to Jesus today. So they sacrificed their comfort, their reputation, their time, and their energy. They said, we have to get to Jesus. And in verse 5, when Jesus saw what was happening, he said, your sins are forgiven. Words so pure and genuine. Words we should all strive to hear from Jesus. And if it took faithful, sacrificial devotion for these men to witness the power of Jesus, why do some of us expect God to be faithful on command when, when we can't even be faithful to Him on the weekend? We get it backwards. That's not Galatians says you reap what you sow. In other words, you get what you put in. In other words, if you show up for God, God will in full measure show up for you. If you sacrifice to be where you need to be for God, God is going to be there for you when you need Him most. And showing up, it's, it's such a simple thing to do. But for some reason, this is the biggest thing we tend to miss out on. Prioritizing being there. For God, and some of us, we've never experienced the full power of God in our lives. Simply because we take being devoted for granted. We, we say, it's, it's no big deal that, that I missed. You know, I'll go next week. Or I'll, I'll go eventually. You know, I'm, I'm planning on being there. I'm going to show up. I'll challenge myself through the scriptures. And some of us, we say that way too frequently. But it's important to understand that what is frequently taken for granted may eventually be taken away. If you can't be with God here on earth, what makes you think that you'll be with God in eternity? If you don't invest in God here, what what makes you think you'll inherit heaven? See, some of us, we flipped it around. And we're looking at it in reverse. It's very unwise to play around with your devotion to God. This devotion thing, we have to get this together. We have to be in the Word of God consistently in our lives. We've got to communicate to God consistently in our lives. And we have to show up for God consistently in our lives. If you want to experience the real power of church, I encourage you to, to get your devotion together. Well, because this thing cannot be taken for granted. You guys still with me? Yeah. And before we move on to point number three, is, that okay? is it okay if I show you something else? Yeah. I got something else that I want to show you. It's in Mark 2, 6 and 7. We passed over this when we initially read it. But it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there. And they were thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, get him out of here. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, don't listen to him. Statements like this show that Jesus, to them, was a foreigner. More of a foreigner than he was a Lord. And they show that 
he's more of a stranger than a savior. And, and before we're quick, a lot of us, we're, we're quick to judge people in the scriptures. We're quick to point the finger at the people, especially the Pharisees in the scripture. But before we're quick to judge these men here, examine your own walk with God. Uh, question, do you treat Jesus as your God or your guest? Is Jesus more of a guest in your life than he is your God? And I ask that because for some of us here today, the Jesus that you say you serve and the Jesus that you say you love and the Jesus that you say you believe in, he's not Lord over much in your life. If it's rare to see you in the fellowship, if you're hypocritical, if you're living a double life, if you're involving yourself in a lifestyle that's contrary to the life that, that God wants you to pursue, if you're slow to repent from sin, if you're hiding sin, if you're led by your emotions, your own personal desires, if you're not open about your life, if you're not in God's word, if you're not willing to change something in your life that the Bible explicitly tells you to change, Jesus is a guest in your life. In the life that Jesus is a guest in, that's a dangerous life to live. That's Luke 9, verse 26. A lot of us, we've read that scripture before even coming to this church. Initially, when studying the Bible, and some of us have forgotten. And if any of those things on your list describe your walk with God, I highly suggest you change. It's not worth it. It's not worth Jesus being a guest in your life. Back at the scripture, verse 11, we're going to read it. Again, recapping this man, he's carried to Capernaum. He's carried to Capernaum. He's pulled to the top of this roof. The Bible doesn't tell us how they got him up there. They had no ladder. I don't know how they did it. The man is at the top of the roof, and he's airdropped to the feet of Jesus. He gets his sins forgiven, and in verse 11, Jesus tells him, Get up. Take up your mat and go home. I'm going to read that again. He says, get up, take up your mat, and go home. I don't know about you, but something within me rises to this man's defense. Get up and go. Get up and go. Get up how and go which way, Jesus? I haven't walked on my own in forever. I haven't got up on my own in forever. What are you talking? Get up and take up my mat. I haven't carried anything on my own in forever. Don't, don't you remember how I got here today? All that was for me. It wasn't my idea, but it was for me. Before we're quick to jump to Jesus being a little rough for saying something like this, we have to look at it through Jesus' perspective. Because on the surface, we, we see a man that couldn't walk. But Jesus, he sees a man that's, that's been stuck. You know, we see a man that, that may need help and support. And Jesus, he sees a man that needs a push. We see a man that struggles with paralysis. But Jesus, he sees a man that may struggle making excuses. And it was such a small statement. Jesus models that we as individuals, and I believe ultimately us as a church, in order to be real, we need to say what needs to be said. We gotta say what needs to be said. This man needed to hear from Jesus these words so that he can move forward in his faith. And there are too many people in churches today that, that like this man, they're stuck where they're at, yet no one is saying anything. No one's telling them to get up and change. 
No one is telling them to get up and repent. Get up and be different. Soft-spoken Christianity is rapidly spreading today. But the severity of sin has been lost. And the command of repentance has been removed. Listen to this article. As a fellow believer in Christ, I have never been more disappointed in the direction of the church than I was upon a recent interview. So as I was studying uh, for this lesson, I I came across a a series of articles that have explained the direction that the church was taking. And this journalist writes, Texas boasts a huge community of successful megachurches. My curiosity in their success led me to email several megachurch leaders requesting a a meeting. Eventually, I found myself sitting with the pastor of a 16,000 weekly member congregation in Houston. I asked him, how are you able to bring in and host so many people in church on Sunday? He replied, at first starting out, we found it very challenging to keep people coming each week. It wasn't until we stopped talking about sin and stopped talking about repentance that our attendance rates skyrocketed. We figure, since people have enough problems throughout the week, Sunday should be full of prosperity and success instead of sin and repentance. The word of God is watered down today like like never before. It's becoming ruined with man-made revisions, and it's almost an offense to preach God's word the way that it's intended to be preached. In church, we got to understand that it's on us to say what needs to be said. If we're going to be the church that Jesus identified us supposed to be in Matthew chapter 16. And the point is, closed mouth Christianity contributes nothing to the church. The church, it can't move forward in silence. You can't be called higher by a held tongue. We're exactly where Satan wants us to be if we can't get over being silent. Because the soft-spoken believer sets the church back. That's Proverbs 21.18. The life and death of the church is in the power of the tongue. And it can't just be the tongue of the preacher. It has to be all of us. We all have to be on the same page. We all share equal responsibility in this. If you see sin and don't say anything about it, you're too soft-spoken. If you see shallow conviction and don't call it higher, you're too soft-spoken. If you don't speak to the struggle your brother or sister is going through, you're too soft-spoken. If you see weak faith and fail to get in and call it higher, You're too soft-spoken. Question, what do you need to say to insert name there? What do you need to say? And I can, during this time, I can list off and rattle off a series of things that you may need to say to the people that are coming, you know, to mind. But reality is, is we all know exactly what we need to say to those people. We've all seen, heard, and experienced something that we should say something about. And if someone tells you to work on something, don't get defensive. Defensiveness will drag you to destruction. If someone tells you something that you need to work on, don't be too prideful to see the truth in it. 
the likelihood of, of there being truth is high if it's being said and if it's being brought up. We have to say what needs to be said, but we have to also say it in a way that honors God. Alright, one of the things that I, I, I love about my wife is that she's real. Alright, those of you who know my wife know she's real. She's real, real, like really real, like realist to the realest point of real that you can get. You know, and I love the fact that, that she calls me out. She calls, she's not afraid to call me out about things, especially when I'm not listening. She calls me higher than that. She calls me out when I'm being selfish, when I'm being prideful. And the thing I love about it is that she doesn't approach telling me what I need to hear in a way that's going to destroy my life. I'm sure she's tempted to do it. I'm sure she's tempted to just tear me a new one. But she really works to say it in a way that brings about the righteousness and glory of God. See, we have to tell it like it is, but we can't use that as ammunition to tear each other down. Now, Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that will build up. Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus tells us that we're going to be held accountable for every empty word that we speak. And so like Jesus, we as a church, we have to say what needs to be said. But like Jesus, we have to say it in a way that brings about the glory of God. Amen? And then closing out, I want to remind you that the real church is a place where the prosperity of others is priority. We have to be each other's keeper. We have to be concerned about the spiritual well-being and even emotionally, mentally, and physically. The entire well-being of each other. We have to love each other. I also want to remind you that the power of real church, it's felt through your devotion. If you're feeling disconnected from God, if you're feeling disconnected from from some of the members in the church, it's, it's because you probably haven't committed to being there and to being here in church. And lastly, church is real with its words. Let's say what needs to be said in order to keep each other faithful. Amen? Amen. So that's what I have for you guys today. Alright, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Alright, at this time I'm going to close out in prayer. And you guys, you guys are being dismissed early. And, and, and I know this is kind of rare here. Because I know how, how Reese loves to preach the word. You know, and in that little valley we give Reese, we give Reese a special screen that times him for 30 minutes. But for some reason, I don't know what it is, Reese just never looks down and he's always preaching over here. Alright, so I'm ending early. Alright, but I love him when Reese comes up and he preaches the word to us. I always learn a lot. But let's go ahead, let's close out in prayer. And I'm going to dismiss you guys. And parents, please don't get your children until... It's at uh, uh, 11.30. Uh, 11.30. It's, it's about t- 10 minutes early, so you guys can fellowship amongst yourselves. If you guys want, you can take me to Chick-fil-A. Oh, you can't take me to Chick-fil-A because it's closed today. It's Sunday. So you can take me somewhere else. But let's, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we're so grateful for times like this that, that we can get together as a church. Thank you, God, for each and every uh, man and each and every woman, each and every uh, child, teenager, whoever it is in this room. And I pray, God, that we all make the decision to be real in our church. I pray, God, that we we make the decision to to put others' prosperity over our own. And we prioritize that in our lives. I pray, God, that we're we're not defensive. When people are, are telling us what we need to hear in order for us to grow. And I pray, God, that we can be devoted to being with you.
Thank you again for this time. Thank you for blessing the remainder of the day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.